Hello and welcome to the Blind Tiger Podcast, your one-stop shop for beer news, reviews, and all things brews. I am your host, a man who is more mucus than man at this point, Rob Fisher. With me, as always, is the man whose 16-year-old self would have laughed at the idea that extensive Pokemon knowledge would make him (laughs) cool, quote-unquote, as an adult, Mike Albright. And of course, the man whose auditory skills can make a Skrillex unplugged concert sound quasi-musical, <laughs> the man far, far too handsome for Frank Zappa, Jesse Clark. That would be easy. You just, <laughs> a lot easier than you think. <laughs> you just turn it off. <laughs> well, today is January 5th, 2015, and we're recording Sample Soda 37, Atypical Nonconformists. This week, Mike, Jesse, and I are back in the studio, our new studio, freshly painted, to discuss the limitations of beer styles and whether their continually growing ambiguity between styles is a help or hindrance to craft beer enthusiasm. With Beer Advocate listing just over 100 styles of beer for craft beer lovers to enjoy, the question is, are these styles worth remembering? Should brewers be following the rigorous guidelines for brewing and labeling? Should drinkers be upset when their Belgian quad tastes more like a Doppelbach? That's what we're here to discuss. But before we get deep into discussion, we have with us tonight two beers that sort of defy style altogether. We will discuss this issue of style while drinking an enigma. So let's fill our glasses with our first beer. So to start, we are going with Alexander from Free Will Brewing Company. Oh, Free Will. Nice. Um, this is, well... Uh, they call it a uh, a sour. Well, they call it an ale brewed with cherries, um, but it, according mm. to them, is a. Let's see. The side of the bottle here says Alexander a saison, refermented with Brettanomyces, sour cherries, and American oak. However, it's listed as American wild ale on Beer Advocate. Okay. And, and I'm gonna actually need freaking corkscrew to get this open. Uh-oh. Oh, by the way, guys, I hope you appreciate the candles I lit for you on the table. Oh, yeah. Just no, I love all, the mood, mood lighting. I wanted to get all mood sultry lighting. here. All right. You're going to have to get one up here for that. Now, this mood lighting almost makes me want to read from Warmed by Love, a book of poetry by none other, none other than Leonard Nimoy <laughs> that Jesse has on his coffee table. It uh, looks like it was written in some somewhere in the 80s, maybe late 70s. Uh, yeah, it's some great stuff that I was reading from it the other day. Do, would you like to hear a little bit? Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. I'll just pick one at random because it really doesn't matter where you start. I have lived with me for a long time and plan to continue. I would like to keep my friendship with others, but I must keep faith with myself. Don't pace yourself. We got a lot of podcasts ahead. (laughs) Oh yeah, we got plenty of poetry here too. (laughs) That was the best. That was the best. Twenty-five cents I've ever spent on a yard sale. Wow, really? (laughs) Yeah, I saw that. I'm like, this is an instant find. I would have done that too. This is yeah. It was. I saw it. It was in high school, and yeah. When I truly give in a love as the artist gives in his art, I am fulfilled manyfold. <laughs> very deep, very introspective. Also very sexual. He gets it on, especially with bigger women. Oh, yeah. Yeah, his, his uh, photography. Right. I was just telling Johnson about that. He didn't know. He, he knew that Hobbit song, but it was like, yeah, oh, but yeah, there's yeah, some yeah. other things he's done. Yeah, I wish some it was very big other things. <laughs> I wish there was more of that in here, because other than that, like there's lots. Of, it looks like somebody somebody took a crayon and sort of scribbled. Yeah, just in some oh, here's of the some peach. Yeah. Just, here's some peach. Nice peach color. I'm curious if we can find any kind of like hints to um, the big beautiful women he likes um, in the poetry. Like if there's any any imagery or word selection that might suggest. Yeah. Well, I have to imagine in of, a world before the internet, having any sort of like non-typical sexual kink must have been much harder than it is nowadays. Nowadays, you just Hit up a search engine and type in what you're into, and pornography comes up. No questions asked. I don't know if we were talking about pornography, Rob. We were just talking about oh, the appreciation of very large. The big, yeah, well, Lord, I assume man. that he <laughs> would appreciate it in a sexual manner. You didn't have to get all dirty on us, Rob. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Mine looks darker than yours. Um. Well, it's probably just the lighting. Yeah, probably just lighting. So yes, this is a ale oh, brew yeah. cherries. It is six point one percent alcohol by volume, and it should have a bit of a sour kick to it. Yes, so it does it in- initially, but it fades away quite fast. Yeah. Ooh, the smell is funky. That's for sure. Like the cherries and the, I can tell it's going to be sour. Yeah, 
Hmm. It's different. I taste the cherries for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Not cloying though, like some beers. Yeah. Like the raspberry stout we had the other day. Yeah, as you said, the sour hits you at first and then it kind of mellows down as it goes as it goes down. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely not like a Creek Lambic or something like that. No. Creek Lambic. Finish is very clean. There's definitely a lot of oak in it though. It doesn't really linger on the palate at all. No, it's it's a little weak that way. Yeah. It's like not a lot to it. I'm not really digging the mouthfeel in this beer. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think with sour beers, you either have to have like a, a level of complexity or, or something to to balance out like yeah. a sour flavor there. And I think like the wild yeast sort of took control. And then there's not really a much of a beer flavor underneath it at all. There's really just sour, mm. sour and cherries. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little complex. Like there's definitely different stages it's going through. But there's just like an overall disappointment. Maybe it's just the way it finishes. <laughs> I am the overall stages of development <laughs> yeah. um, end with disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> are they just cognitive stages? Are you talking about as <laughs> we're trying to decide what's going on? Well, like it, it starts out like in, with that initial like high sour note, then it sort of fades into that like sort of um, oaky, but like I don't know, it's still like a very thin, thin oak flavor, and then just sort of disappears. So it's like, huh? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I just get a lot of oak in the end. Mm-hmm. Do you saw that bottle? I do saw the bottle. Can I look at that? Absolutely. But I guess as far as like in our overall theme, uh, since this is sort of like a hybrid style, if you will, or just something that doesn't really fit into the already long list of definable styles, it definitely doesn't easily place itself into one thing. One no, category. I don't know what I would have called this. I probably would have put it under like a a vague sour beer, yeah. Um, or or as uh, beer advocates did, it's sort of a wild beer. Did you say it was uh, a sour saison? Or that's it? what they're calling it. They're calling it a saison with uh, Brettanomyces, mm-hmm. and so that would be just like a sour saison, which isn't really a thing. I mean, saisons are pretty open ended as it is as a style, but uh, um, adding the sour in there is definitely something I haven't really really seen a whole lot. I wouldn't call it a. A thought experiment. I mean, it's still all right. It's just not taking my breath away in a way that I would have hoped. No. It does say here that it can be enjoyed now or carefully cellared for up to five years. That's the first time I've ever seen like an upper uh, time limit to something like that. But yeah. I do wonder how this would actually change. If it melted on the oakiness and brought up the cherries a bit, I feel like it could be okay. Yeah, if Maybe it let... could have a bit of a thicker mouthfeel to it. Yeah, if it lets some of the bread kind of do its thing. Let it get really, really funky. Mm-hmm. Which I'm always a fan for. Oh yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Alexander, brew that funky lambic white boy. <laughs> so how how do you feel about calling something like a sour saison? Like if you hear that, does that bother you exactly? Do you feel like you should you want them to pick one or the other? Stop being on the fence. Well, so for me, I want styles to be descriptive. I want the, I want to know that when I'm buying when I'm looking at something that I have at least some expectation of what I'm going to get. So I don't mind if a if a brewery is sort of bastardizing terms in order to describe something that makes sense to me. My problem comes when I get into enig- enigna- enigmatic uh, quote-unquote styles like the next beer we're having where I have no idea what that expectation should be because it's they seem almost uh, oxymoronic in their the mishmash of flavors. And I know Jesse can probably speak to this to, to great degrees, but when you're going to buy a particular wine, you know when it says it's this particular style that um, I'm assuming a very good wine connoisseur would be able to say almost specifically what the nature of that flavor is going to be um, within a certain very rigid um, and small degree of accuracy. Exactly. Well, firstly, let me talk about the beer here. I kind of like this idea. Firstly, we, we were talking about, okay, so... Uh, any style of beer can vary so incredibly. I mean, we're IPAs. It really, when does it just turn to just a, you know, it's just a pale ale, or you know, we have pale ales that are just as bitter as IPAs. Um, but here we actually have a saison, which is open ended, and then the sours are pretty open ended too. But then when we combine those two, at least we're we have we're nailing it down with two nails. It's kind of like <laughs> it's forcing it. Like, all right, I can almost pinpoint what this is going to be before I drink it. Like, so if, if we're, you know, the more, it's kind of like we're putting, uh, we're, we're, you know, we're putting a couple constraints on it. The more constraints, the better or more predictable the, the beer will be almost. Um, so I kind of appreciate this idea. Like, at least it's, I'm, I'm not, you know, I have 
two flashlights as I'm going through the dark, you know, mm-hmm. and pouring the spear, um, rather than just like one. And it's like anything can happen. Um, I'm getting really weird with my metaphors here. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, so with wine, yes, absolutely. Um, there's uh, a lot less variance. There's um, when you're you're usually working with one grape, or if you're you know adulterating it or mitigating it for cheaper bottles with. Um, well, cheaper grapes then, but still, it's it's done with a particular style, and there are, there are very strict rules on what's going to happen in that bottle to make it so that if you get a Chianti, it's going to be a Chianti. A Chianti is going to be a Chianti. It's going uh, there's going to be variances, of course, for um, different years and different um, makers, but it's going to be there's going to be that same you know the, the same color, the same flavors are going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, just how are they present? How was it made? The complexities then therein, but it's still. Um, but here, the, it's it's such an open game with, yeah. with beer. Yeah, beer is definitely a lot different. Like it's almost like they're trying to be as different from anybody else as possible. Like if one brewery comes out of the pale, the other brewery maybe near them wants to come out with something totally different. They don't want it to be anything like it. Yeah. To the point where some breweries, I feel like they'll slap like a label or a style on their beer that is actually you know, you taste it and you go, well, I don't think this is what this is at all. Yeah. And a lot of times when we look it up on like, you know, Beer Advocate or Rape Beer or something, they'll call it something Completely different to different. it. Yeah, as well. Well, I enjoyed the, uh, what was it, like a year ago we had, there was that brewery out in the Midwest that was making the, uh, was it the Verte, the, the green, oh, the, the, the young, yeah, yeah. young Goza, and uh, that they're making an intensely soured, quote unquote, aged beer in the span of like, like a week or two, what would traditionally be a style that would take two years. And they were arguing that while they shouldn't necessarily call it a goza through and through because it hasn't been aged the way that was, they're putting another adjective on it to sort of say this is kind of what it might taste like, but obviously it was done in a very different way. And if the complexity is the same, like if the output tastes very similar, like what's the harm of labeling it something different, even if the process of getting there is a lot different. Now, I would contest that as long as you don't charge like the same price as a normal mm. uh, goza because you're taking all of that... Uh, that extra time and energy to do that, then that's not so bad. But I also think there are, I mean, there are sort of things I mean, we've joked about it before. Uh, the next beer that we have coming up is a blonde stout. What the hell does that mean? Like, I don't know from that combination, at least I think that's what they're, they're calling it. Um, um, and we'll get to that in just a second. But uh, yeah, it's an Imperial golden stout. So what the hell does a golden stout mean? I mean, uh, there are characteristics about a stout that I know come from certain ingredients. So I'll be surprised to see, will there be like a toasted malt flavor from there? Will be there sort of be a coffee bitterness within, um, you know, a stout that's golden? Yeah, maybe it's like a golden beard, like a super heavy, creamy mouthfeel. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that as as a complexity. Like, I don't want brewers to be constrained within the specifics of styles and guidelines. Like, I want them to brew unique and interesting things. Because I was just reading an article today that um, uh, Sam Adams, um, Jim Coke, was mm-hmm. complaining that uh, he was at a recent, he was recently at a, a fine craft beer establishment in Boston and uh, looked at their beer list, and there wasn't a Sam Adams within sight, obviously. Oh. And he uh, apparently started bitching out that their beer list, not knowing he was listening, he was sitting right next to the owner of the establishment who then attempted to explain that what his goal was for his particular establishment was not just good beer. It was a distinct, you know, something different beer, something to capture the imagination, something to really push the boundaries of beer, which while Sam Adams makes fine beer, Mm -hmm. isn't what Sam Adams is doing. And apparently, according to the article, um, Jim Coke apparently berated the uh, one of the bartenders to the point of tears by go- railing about why this place doesn't have Sam Adams. <laughs> and so I understand his contention of saying Sam Adams is a good beer. And it is a craft beer, by definition. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also understand the owner slash bartender being like, you can get freaking Sam Adams anywhere. Right. And what we're doing at this place is pushing for stuff that is different and non-conventional and things that maybe you can't get elsewhere. Things that aren't just saying we want to stick strictly within... Style guidelines. We want to have that super juicy citrusy IPA, or we want to have that Russian Imperial Stout with cherries as something that's different to balance it out. Like we really want to push the boundaries that beer can be. Whereas Sam Adams just not that they don't do some experimental stuff, but it's it's definitely not to that level. Yeah, I mean they definitely try or are trying. I mean they definitely have like that weird like what Third Voyage line or whatever it is, and those funky bottles. They've yeah. been trying to do different things with that. And I know their seasonal packs are always coming out with them. Um, different samplers and there's usually like more so than most it's like six or seven different beers and Mm -hmm. those things and some of them are different than the traditional like brown ale or porter or whatever you might find like a winter pack 
Um, but I don't really get overly excited about it now because I don't really see them as a brewery that really sort of goes for something very well crafted, but also different. Not... Well, and I, I think the strength of Sam Adams A is that they're you know omnipresent, so obviously they're doing something right. Yeah. But if someone says to you like, "What is what? What's a lager taste like? What is a traditional lager?" I might summon someone towards say Brooklyn. Um, Lager, I like theirs quite a bit. But Sam Adams Boston Lager is not a bad example no. of what a solid lager tastes like. I, I don't think any of their beers are bad within style guidelines, you know? And I think that's sort of what um, that bartender might have been, or the owner of that bar, uh, beer bar was talking about, because uh, like Sam Adams' original Boston Lager was actually really different compared to what was on the market at the time. But it's still Absolutely. like a, a very good beer, and it could still be definitely considered a lager. I mean, it, you you sort of saw like the base in its um, taste, right? A base lager, but it was definitely not like your standard corny, sweet uh, lagers that were mass produced by like. Well, in a certain sense, uh, I think Sierra Nevada is, the the success of their pale ale. I think was sort of brilliant, a on timing, but b. Um, you look at it now, and I, I know people who definitely enjoy their torpedo way more than mm. the pale ale. Yeah. And then they enjoy things that are not their typical flagships more than uh, their, more than the, the pale ale if they're looking at Sierra Nevada specific. So um, it, I find it interesting that if like maybe Sierra Nevada had the pale ale had actually been an IPA and it was like, bam, we're coming out with something that's 40 IBUs. We're going to blow your, your minds. It would not have that popularity today because now if you want to like push the bitter boundary you got to be up you know 100 IBUs if you want to get close to like pushing someone's palate beyond the 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 realm of of good taste and so I don't think that a lot of the reason these are sort of lighter beers is because they're great entry beers they're they're great to get people into something different than the typical light lagers that they're used to but the the tastes of craft beer enthusiasts have certainly changed over even the last 10 years to sort of expect that the Boston Lager was going to be the beer of choice for everyone forever. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of naive. Yeah, and I think they started like pushing out so many different kinds too. All of a sudden, uh, especially even their seasonals, they would change those like every year. They'd say, "Oh, here's our new yearly seasonal." Now that would actually change by the time it, that that season came around again. And a lot of them, I think, were sort of mediocre, and that's kind of what turned some people away too. So, well, I look at like even Stone, who has a high reputation as being a phenomenal craft brewery, and how many people just go for just a, a regular straight out the door stone IPA. Well, no, they usually want something different. They're, you know, more, normally the stuff that's fine off the shelves is the oak aged arrogant bastard right. or, you know, the new thing that's coming out the door from them. It's, and everybody seems to love that, but just saying, I'm just going to go for, you know, stone pale ale or stone IPA, like regular straight up. I don't really see them flying off the shelves other than I just want something that's safe and simple. <clears throat> For this particular drinking, uh, and I, that might be different for somebody just getting in, but for people like us, you know, that's interesting seeing our social group drink beers. We usually are either weird one-offs or our craft beer favorites or PBR. You know, like yeah. there's not a lot of in intermediate ground there. It's like one or the other. We're at like weird extremes, or we're drinking the cheapest stuff at the bar. Yeah, and I think maybe that's what's driving these sort of weird hybrid car uh, categories is because a lot of maybe the beer crowd is running to those weird extremes. So brewers are just trying to keep up or trying to guess where the next direction things might go. Uh, you just mentioning, you know, oaking things. That That's probably, what is that like the latest uh, beer trend? Mm -hmm. Oaking everything, you know, pretty soon we'll be seeing oaked pilsners and uh, <laughs> everything of that nature. Whiskey barrel pilsners? Yep. For sure. I thought I was noticing actually more complexities as this is warming up this beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got a little better, for sure. I mean... It's not that I, I hate this beer. I just initially was just kind of like rubbed the wrong way. Um, I definitely think the temperature is helping a little bit. The one thing I do like that is it wasn't like cherries jubilee in my mouth. The cherries yeah. is there, but it's it's subtle. It's actually a, a nice blend. Cherries jubilee in your mm -hmm. mouth. Uh -huh. All right, <laughs> but I do think it's hard for local breweries to maintain. Like, imagine if Columbia Kettleworks came out with it, just a solid pale ale. But then St. Boniface had a solid pale ale. Like, what distinguishes those two beers from one another? If there, if there isn't a strong taste differential, why would somebody from Lancaster seek out one over the other? Like, what makes the Padilla uh, beer so much better than a lot of other offerings from a lot of, like, for pretty much anything from Lancaster Brewing Company? Like, it, what sets it apart? And it's got a unique, distinct, good flavor to it. And so you can't just come out and be like, here, here's a 
above average, well-crafted Pilsner. Mm -hmm. It's just like the other guy down the street Pilsner who, and it's just like the other guys down the street Pilsner at the next town over because you're going to have your local guys. But if you want to go outside of like your local town, pardon me, you're going to have a hard time selling that because everybody's going to be like, well, I can just drink the local Pilsner. Why would I want to, you know, go and have the other Pilsner unless you're like us who will drive 40 minutes to try something just because it's (laughs) different. That's interesting. Okay, so like uh, with wine, then I mean, it's it's we are going, we are getting the grape from Tuscan. We're getting that when we we're looking for that Sangiovese, we're looking for that Chianti, that Chianti wine. We're getting the Sangiovese grape for, from the Tuscan region. I mean, you can get Sangiovese grape from from California, but it's very different. It tastes very very different. Um, and each wine then is very different per year. Um, we're, I mean, we don't notice that really with beer as much. I mean, you know, some changes. I mean, obviously we had that, uh, whatever, that hop thing, hop slam mm. that was mm-hmm. that we noticed was different. But I don't think it was like as substantially different as you have with wine. Do we notice that much, like a huge difference per year of harvest with, with beer? And do we, have we noticed that like certain conditions are better? I mean, that's what that's what are these things that matter with wine then. Like, so mm-hmm. each, each, you have... Um, actually, one spectator comes out with a vintage year card with like where it can change. Like this year is rated like ninety eight points, and then this year is rated like eighty something. So it's like huge differences. Yeah, I think you're definitely starting to see that in the beer world. Well, first of all, in the Untapped app, like it yeah. used to be, you would just have like Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, but now you're seeing you can check into Sierra Nevada Pale Ale 2014 edition because a lot of people are starting to go. Well, it's you know actually it changed a little bit, and it must be like this year's hop harvest or. Oh yeah, it's it's getting worse or getting better, and it used to just be like for very uh, small batches or small runs of things like Hop Slam, but you're starting to see it in more and more things. Yeah, but I have that such a hard time because I feel like, and I, I maybe this is difficult for wine people as well, but I feel like your own personal taste change year to year, perhaps as much or even more than the actual experience of drinking the wine. So even like the environment in which you drink it can be different. Like, was it really that Hop Slam was better? two winters ago because we were all were getting hammered on it in a loving, happy, warm environment. And then last year we sort of had it in the quiet of our own homes in front of the TV where it was a good experience, but it wasn't great. Or were we expecting more nuance and subtlety to a beer mm-hmm. after a year of heavy drinking a bunch of really strong IPAs? Because certainly the last two years have shown a lot of IPAs and double IPAs that have come out. So now maybe our expectations were such that they better be astronomically high but they only came out as being an a minusly awesome and so maybe it wasn't a minus the year before or even a b plus but because we were expecting a c it, it rose above our expectations and therefore seemed better so i feel like it's so hard to have that sort of judgment because there's all these weird yeah. weird factors like i'm not maybe I, in the beer world but not in the wine world well no, and no? that's but i'm really curious about but, well and i would yeah. say that the difference would be that I, I i think that there are and i'm in the beer world there probably are some but not as many people who like that is their job is to just sort of like try to eliminate all those factors and just taste the wine for the wine. Whereas I don't think that as much in the beer world that the people who are high level critics of it are as dedicated to the, well, I'm going to make sure I absolutely know the subtle differences between beers uh, year to year. I think some people are probably at that level, but it doesn't have that same culture the way wine is where you're training for years and you're trying to taste those little differences. I think that's due to also because that wine is cellared and it's meant to, there's a lot of it is meant to be aged for some amount of time. So like, okay, so when I, I remember the bottle that got me into wine, like every wine enthusiast has that bottle. And, um, it was the 1997 Luc- uh, Lucente Luce? It was Fresco Balte and Mandavi. They got together. They were making this wine. It was, it was Tuscan. As I mentioned, it was like a Chianti. Um, San Giovanni. Oh my gosh, it blew my mind. Um, and uh, I was getting the 97, and then I saw the the liquors. I was getting for like a year. I was I was like I was running out of money. I was a college student. <laughs> I was spending twenty five dollars on these bottles, and it was amazing. Um, and uh, then they they switched to ninety eight. Mm-hmm. Like whatever, they didn't have the ninety seven anymore. They had the ninety eight, and it wasn't as good. Mm-hmm. It was still the ninety eight was still ranked like uh, the ninety eight from 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 Italy in that region was still good. It was still an A, but the ninety seven was an A plus. So like if you look at it on any kind of scorecard, it was like ninety nine points or whatever. And uh, I wasn't a wine enthusiast. I was just like, oh my gosh, I found a bottle I like. I'm just going to keep buying this bottle. Then I, you know, like I said, I bought a, a, a the one that was a different year and it was very very different. Then I had to find out. I need to get that that initial high back. <laughs> but, <laughs> so I had to search like why I need to I need to discover how do I get that back and so I had to like 
was it that was it that year was it that maker was it that style well that's the thing like they include that year right on that bottle so is there do you think that year has anything to do mentally with your preparedness of how it's going to taste no like what if it didn't have any no you don't think at all like if, Not it, had, at all. if it had no year you would instantly know like when they switched over yeah, oh god yes Oh God, yeah. Okay. Like that ninety-seven to ninety-eight was. A, I mean, it was. There were still A's, but that was. I mean, that was huge for me. Uh-huh. That's why I got into wine is because of that. That change. Okay. <laughs> that, well, yeah. I'm sure if we could contact the food scientists, they could probably perhaps have a a more like reasonable explanation for as why that might be. I imagine it's because it's the nature of uh, fruit and really only having grapes as the primary ingredient. Yeah. If where, you have. We're dealing with much one ingredient, grains. one ingredient. So if there, if there, what ing- ingredients in wine? And if you change if the weather, I mean, it's the weather. It's if the weather is a little bit different, mm-hmm. and you're only changing that one, that one, that one variable. Here we have several. We have so many variables with beer. And if one changes, it's like, well, there's 14 others. <laughs> well, and we've, I mean, we noticed it on on less expert breweries uh, that have a definite problem with quality control where. Local breweries may have a batch that comes out of a particular beer that tastes delicious, and the next time you go, you're like, oh, God, this isn't what I remember. I even have the problem with Yingling sometimes, where I'm like, I used to think it was Yingling on giraffe versus bottle, but I think it's just certain batches of Yingling just aren't as good as others. And I'm like, oh, God, I thought, why did I love this beer? And then I have another batch, I'm like, oh, this is delicious and great. And uh, so even bigger breweries can have slight differences, but I don't know if it's such a vintage per vintage year. And part of the problem is it's really hard to go into a place and say, I'd like to try Dogfish Head 90 Minute from, you know, 2007 to now and yeah. have some place people like, well, I can, for a large price, I can mm-hmm. accommodate that. In most places, you're not going to have that because Dog, Yeah, it's like Dogfish themselves, the thing we're almost trying to do that when we were down at the restaurant, they would actually yeah. offer, oh, well, we actually have uh, this, uh, you know, um, Theobal, uh, Theobroma from 2011. Right. Available, so it's like, oh, okay. Well, that's kind of interesting. Try. Well, yeah. This is, I mean, it's it, in wine. It's to the point where when I Wine Spectator, um, I had a uh, subscription to that where they have a vintage chart they would give you, and I kept it in my wallet. If I would go to a wine shop and if I saw what is a great manu, great, um, you know, uh, maker of, of of wine, and they were at um, a year that wasn't good, mm. but there was a, a cheaper bottle, like from like uh, Mandavi would put out, like they're like they're kind of like okay. Uh, they would they would adulterate their wine with with other grapes, but if that bottle was from a, a better year, I would go with the better the, the better year mm. over the, with the weaker maker. Mm. Um, it's that big of a difference. You'll notice it. Interesting, huh? Yeah, each each year of wine is very different. Maybe maybe we have to do a wine podcast are for there, you guys. Are there bring uh, some different years so you can taste it? And I wonder why there aren't any like uh, like small batch brew or uh, vineyards that are just growing their grapes like hydroponically, so they can absolutely control all those elements so that year from year the grapes are. Well, good. I think it also makes it then collective, like it's collector's items. Like, oh, we have to pre-order this That's year. True. Maybe it's good, you know, because I want to make sure that I have that case. Because okay. there's a in wine, there's a big market for pre-ordering then too. It's like, oh, I heard this year was really good. You better buy like ten cases of it now, oh. and then maybe it wasn't. <laughs> and then, and then there's like, oh wait, there's only so much of this years, this vintage left. Uh oh, then it's the next vintage. We don't know what's going on that year. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, the price is kind of like it's, there's a market that for the prices, you know, they 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 fluctuate depending on the demand, supply and demand for wine. Hmm. Well, speaking of things of you're not quite sure what they're going to be, let's move on uh, to yeah. our next beer, the poorly named Master of Disguise. And I say it's poorly named because it always reminds me oh. of the terribly failed Dana Carvey movie by the same name. That has, I'm looking at it right now, 1% success rate on, on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, God. I haven't seen it, but I really want to, just because I've heard what so much called? about how it's called Master bad. Of it's oh. Dana Carvey's like, only solo project, and he just does a bunch of impressions yeah. for 90 minutes. His star was rising, and then he put this movie out, and apparently it was so terrible that he really didn't do anything. He killed that, did he? his like, bloody career. Yeah. Rightfully so. You can watch the trailer after, Jesse. It's pretty fucking terrible. All right. Uh, Master of Disguise. So how about another topic that has a lot of different uh, style categories, but they don't necessarily mean a whole lot? uh, Music. Oh. So if anything, like I've... Like sometimes I'll just like go into my library and just look at all the different genres of music that I have. And there's like almost as many as songs that I have because they'll call it... They'll just attach any sort of adjective... Uh, to a certain band, I call false. 
I say that um, when you when you walk into what used to be the wall, there were three categories of music: <laughs> <laughs> classical, country, and rock or pop. That was yes, it. That yeah. was it. Rock slash pop, country, and classical. Everything else was for the birds. It's pretty easy from the classical perspective. It's either classical art or pop. <laughs> Even country, everything. It's like rap. Everything is just on the pop. It's like oh, it's. There's no violins and violas. But that was almost like <laughs> confusing sometimes. Like if they had maybe like six categories, you'd be you'd be looking in like say one category for your band, not see it, wonder what the hell's going on. Oh no, they actually put it in the pop side. Well, why did they do that? Well, I do find it weird when you when you when you used to be able to buy Marilyn Manson or like Insane Clown Posse in the same <laughs> group of things as say like a Britney Spears. Yeah, yeah. And that always seemed. I mean, I understand from a music maybe compositional. And Jesse can tell me if I'm talking bullshit here, but I can understand at least there are themes there that are similar in composition. But but certainly when a young child is looking for that latest Justin Timberlake CD, they don't necessarily need to be uh, stumbling across Corn or Disturbed or something, which really ages me considering I did not reference I think any band that came out with songs after like 2000. But. <laughs> well, the most confusing thing is the, the label Alternative. I mean, before yeah. at one point it was well. Alternative to something, that being Pop World. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden Alternative is Top 40. That can't happen. If Alternative is Top 40, then it's not Alternative anymore. Yeah, I was waiting for that. Yeah, really yeah, yeah, I had that exact. Okay. You guys were talking about music, and I couldn't. I couldn't think because I took a sip of the beer. All right, so let's <laughs> talk about the beer. Um, the beer is Stone's Master of Disguise. As we mentioned, it is a Imperial Golden Stout. It is a stout brewed with uh, coca and coffee beans, um, and so it is nine point seven percent ABV. It is definitely classified as a American Double slash Imperial Stout, and it's part of Stone's. I'm going to butcher this name, uh, Stoicicity project. Stoicicity. Um, anyway, they're doing a bunch of, um, weird things where they're attempting to push the bound, like what we were talking about, push literally the boundaries of what is beer. So they have, um, a whole website set up to this where they have, um, tweets and, and blog posts about what they're doing and how they're playing with, uh, certain ingredients to get, uh, um, different qualities out of beer. And so you can probably look up when they made this, the whole process of doing so. Like their most recent ones are they're looking for, um, like they have a post from, uh, well, God, like six months ago at this point, but uh, Guide to Off Flavors, papery, and like how to get that sort of flavor or um, what to do with uh, infectious flavors or how to get them. And so it's really very interesting, especially from like a homebrewer's perspective. But, uh, this uh, beer is very, very light. I mean, it looks like a typical, you know, maybe darker pale ale. Yeah, it looks or, like a Sierra uh, Nevada an IPA. Like a pale ale, yeah. Stochastic. I mean, that's randomly determined. That has to do with randomness. Is, it, is that, is is that it, has to do with the, the picking of these two? Of this? I mean, that's what it means. Um, of of these styles, like what what does ran, the randomness have to do with anything? Like with this beer? Well, I can see like if they're trying to come up with different projects that like it's or maybe just two conflicting okay. things. It actually wouldn't be random then, but I'm just saying. Maybe they did. Maybe they just like. Yeah, maybe I just took the GREs last month and Ooh. I still remember some words. In probability theory, a. Was it stochastic? Is that how you say that? Stochastic. Yep. Stochastic system is one whose state is non deterministic, i.e., random, so that the subsequent state of the system is determined more by blah, 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 blah. If my hmm. eyes were closed, I would think this would be a stout, but the mouthfeel is a little. And, and that's kind of what it is. Like you're, initially, you're not going to expect this at all. You're, you're maybe thinking hoppy, and then you take a swig, and you're like, "Oh my god, there's like a lot of coffee there." Well, there, so the, one of the other beers that they had from the project was the grapefruit slam IPA. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that one, <laughs> uh, which was good. I liked that quite a bit. That's a big um, thing, like grapefruit beers. So they had the. Uh, they also had the Varna Necropolis, which is a golden Belgian ale aged in bourbon barrels, mm-hmm. which also sounds pretty delicious. Um, let's see what else they had. Uh, hibiscusicity, um, which is a Belgian style ale, but it brewed with hibiscus. It looks like that's pretty crazy, and uh, a Belgian quad. The f- website is very futuristic. It is, huh? Yeah. But anyway, this is this looks like a lighter beer. It looks. Oh yeah. It does not taste like, like it. But uh, yeah, it definitely has uh, the qualities that one would think of as being a stout. Yeah, I, I mean, I can definitely follow them down the rabbit hole that they're going. Um, it, it's definitely it's like a full in mouth feel. It's warming. Um, like there's definitely some cocoa there, but it's almost like a bit of like a heat. I'm not. It's almost as though. 
they brewed, and maybe they did actually. It's almost as though they brewed a IPA, like a lighter IPA, or a stronger pale ale, and then they just threw in coffee beans. Because what I get initially on the on my flavor with with on my tongue is I get a sort of multi sweetness mm-hmm. of what would be like a traditional ale style, and then I get the the stout characteristics sort mm-hmm. of coming on later. So it's almost as though it truly is like a hybrid mix. Um, it isn't quite 100% blended the way I would have expected. It's definitely an interesting beer. Mm-hmm. I like how these the, the different flavors are not competing with each other. They're really different stages in your when the, the they experience. Definitely are. I really appreciate that. Okay, so there, in wine, this happens. There was a, there's a wine. They, God bless them. They still make the wine and people drink it. Um, there's a wine in California. And it's always <laughs> California. Those are the people who are. That's the place where they're com, where they're combining and doing weird things. Um, it was called a red truck wine. I think I mentioned it before. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. It's yeah. like they just put everything in the you know in the wine. Just all the different styles. Let's just smash it up. And God bless you if you drink that. It's uh, it's it's you know there's just all the different varieties and it's just kind of like uh, it's it's is it is it Burns that had it, like all those different diseases and they just oh, yeah, right. <laughs> all them because you know they were all competing and that's what the flavors are like you know it's. Yeah, so it looks. But this, it's not competing. It's it's really they're different. So I guess Stone basically said uh, that since the black IPA, which is more and more becoming a thing, is sort of an accepted style, they're going to do it the other way. Hmm. They're going to say, we're going to impart the flavors of a stout in, without actually darkening it, which means they probably are not using any roasted malts yeah, or, or darker say. malts to get that. They're doing a traditional brew, but then they're doing the, the cocoa beans and the coffee beans to add that sort of stoutiness to it. Hmm. And it's interesting that it comes in very, very strong. It comes in subtly on the first taste but then that coffee really hits yeah. you on the back end so how are they doing this i wonder because i mean you don't see white coffee out there so i don't know i don't know if they're like putting it in the within like the fermentation or something well i mean anytime you would add like any sort of like cocoa or coffee you're gonna get just the dark color uh, I guess so uh don't know unless they're using i don't know if you use like cracked beans or whatever and it releases the oils like the essence of that coffee that i guess be. it wouldn't impart too much of the color and filtering all out later i assume if they're announcing that using cocoa and coffee beans that they're not using any sort of extract flavor yeah i mean i would hope so that would just be disappointing yeah white flake oats provide an enveloping mouthfeel the result is a stout that looks more like blonde but is a raven beauty at heart um that's actually not a bad combination i i hmm yeah, it's it's curious. I enjoy it. I like yeah, I like it a lot more than I thought I would. Really. Like, I want to buy a bunch of these and just not tell people what it is, and then be right. like, here you go. And when they go, bah, what the hell? Because it is a uh, it's surprising. I mean, it looks. Yeah, yeah. I remember I I took a sip of this when you were talking about music, and I almost couldn't think of the music that you were talking. Like you normally, I would say a few things. But I was waiting for you to drink, and then your face was definitely priceless. I mean, I got a stuffy nose, but uh, it doesn't really smell like coffee to me. I don't really get much of it at all. No. So no. I think you could totally slide slide this past somebody and then have them be totally floored by. It. Yeah, it's not super pungent. I definitely get a lot of chocolate out of it mm-hmm. more than the when the coffee. But it's also it has that mouthfeel that I was kind of hoping for for the uh, cherry saison that we had in the Sarish, the Alexander. Yeah, exactly. That really would have that had that sort of mouthfeel, and that would have been a much better beer. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's frustrating. So close. All right, so I I guess I believe that there is such a thing as a blonde stout. What next? What what two do you think would not go together? Let's see. Well, we've had the black IPA, um, we've this, had the Belgian IPA, and I've had some yeah. of those. That, some of those that not been bad. Yeah. How about a coffee lambic? Co- <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's two Woo. that don't work out. Uh, the stout lambic. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna go with the yam yam lambic. Yeah. Ew. Pumpkin and pumpkin. Ew. Oh, God. Early, I don't like early spice pumpkin, personally, so it doesn't matter. Um, winter warmer pilsner? Is that... <laughs> yeah, the stout pilsner. <laughs> conflict of terms. Well, it's weird because it's more of a color wheel than it is like opposites of each other. So it's really hard to think of beer styles that are truly like opposites of each other. Well, that is something that's opposite because, like, a pilsner by definition is supposed to be just very clean. It's lagered, right. and then like a winter warmer is generally dark, heavy, alcoholic, spiced. 
Can we can we do like an American adjunct lager with uh, English barley wine? Is that like something we could mix together to? Uh... Yeah. Right. <laughs> Actually, that probably just averages out to be beer as <laughs> it should be defined. So I wanted to go through and at least um, in our discussions of styles, so I can get back to it. Um, here we are. Um, just wanted to see if you guys have heard or have any clue what these things might taste like. So, um, so like, for example, um, old ale, mm. um, you know, I've heard of it as a style, but I don't think I could really put a definition as to what that would be flavored like. No, I've seen that too. Isn't that like similar to like a barley wine? Let's see what Beer Advocate has to say. Yeah. I imagine it would taste like my grandfather's, so some Yeah, that, that's exactly, and... it doesn't sound very pleasing, yeah. <laughs> some maybe old tobacco. <laughs> Yeah, it had dust in the bottle, so I guess it's an old ale. Yeah, maybe he missed some shaving underneath his neck. He hasn't shaved there since 62, you know? So, uh, Beer Advocate says that old ales, also referred to in the past as stock ales, are low attenuated beers with high levels of dextrins, creating a full malt body with plenty of character. Old ales are 100 plus (laughs) years ago were often transferred into vats to mature, hence the name. So they're actually my granddad. They're rich, dark amber in color to a very dark brown, near black, tamed aromatics. Although bittering levels can vary greatly, uh, expect common fruity, um, intense malts, and sharp alcoholic or alcohol characteristics. Yep. They did drink a, bar- a lot. Barley yeah. wine. Yeah. <laughs> so how about, let's see, what's on the good one? Um, how about a, a Rogan beer? Oh, the Rogan beer. Uh... A Rogan? Or a... You? No, O R O G G E N. Hmm. Is that the black beer? Um, it's actually a German style rye beer that uh, contains okay. large portions of rye. Okay. Um, expect a pronounced spiciness and sour like rye character, multi flavor, and a clean hop character. Often unfiltered and bottle conditioned. Rogan bitters tend to be rather turbid and foamy. Yeah. Foamy. I haven't seen those in quite a while. Even when I was in Germany, I don't remember seeing too many of those. Yeah, it's disappointing. I mean, like oh, the Americans are obviously oh, like we've we've heard of all these. So there's amber, amber slash red barley, American barley wine, American black ale, blonde, brown, dark wheat, which I haven't really seen any of those. But I can imagine what a dark wheat would be like. Um, there's the double IPA, the double stout, IPA, APA, pale wheat. Porter, stout, strong, wild, black and tan, chili beer, um, which doesn't surprise me, but I don't think I've seen any of that particular style around. Um, cream ale, pumpkin ale, rye beer, and wheat wine. Wheat wine. Don't see too many of those. No. Um, I feel like my girlfriend would probably love those. <laughs> um, and then I've built, like, a lot of these are overlap because it's like the English pale ale or the English IPA. But the Germans are very interesting. Um, Obviously, the Czech has the Czech Pilsner, mm-hmm. and the European lagers are their dark lager, pale lager, and strong lager, which I feel like are Duff Dry, Duff, and Duff Light. <laughs> and then um, the Germans have the Bach, the Doppelbach, mm-hmm. uh, the Dortmunder, the Eisbach, the German Pilsner, the Kellerbier, the Maybach, the Marzen, the Munich Dunkel, uh, the Munich Hells, Rock Beer, Schwartz Beer, and Vienna beer. Uh, Schwartz beer. That's a black beer, I think. Yeah, that is a black one. You, uh, mentioned, you mentioned rock the, beer. The, rock. the Czech Smoke Pilsner. Beer. That was the only one by Laguanitas that I didn't like. Hmm. Did you have those? That Wh- one? Which one? Laguanitas. They're uh, the Czech Pilsner. Hmm. No, I don't. Of their know. beers, that was the only one that I really didn't like. Oh. All the others I love. Interesting. Huh. I had a Weizenbach the other day at Victory. That was one of like the the ones that keep in house. That was that's kind of reminded me of, like a wheat wine like. Uh, like a, a stronger wheat uh, beer, like a little more alcoholic. Mm. Well, I, I, it's funny because like I want my beer to be, uh, my brewers to be as free as possible to be as expressive through the medium of beer as humanly possible. But I also respect the fact that like rock beer um, is a style that has origins in the 1500s um, to a particular district within Germany. Um, and uh, it's typically dark color has uh, similarities of the Oktoberfest beer. Mm-hmm. Green malts are literally dried over an open fire of beech wood, imparting a unique smokiness. Yes. Um, uh, the uses of which produces beers of an acquired taste. But I like that. I like that it's like, hey, this is a beer we've been doing for 
500 years or 600 yeah. almost 600 years going on 600 years and that it's done very specifically by you don't just roast this crap over an open fire no it's gonna be beech wood you gotta use beech wood <laughs> and i like that specificity but at the same time i don't want to tie people down to that level of specificity you know right um that's what the yeah the germans seem to like to do like, they really really, really want to put really you in the corner well, the Belgians are the same way. Well, you know, you got you got Trappist breweries have been doing it the same way for well, hundreds and hundreds Trappist, of years, yeah. years. But they also have like you know the wild ales, like they just stick it in a big shallow pan let them, <laughs> and let whatever's in the air infect it. And hey, we got beer. Well, but then you also have like the Mee Keller and uh, what is it, Evil Genius or Evil yeah, twin, twin, Evil Twin that are doing all manner of crazy shit with beer. So I I, I kind of like I I don't want to have one phase out the other. I don't want to have rigorous styles that that I, I love the traditional German beers. They're not necessarily my favorite, but I, I I love that they exist. I love. I want to do a beer tour of Germany where you hit every little town and have yeah, their yeah. their sample of what the hell they call a lager. Stuff, yeah, yeah. yeah, I want to have all that stuff where it's like this beer is the same as your grandfather's grandfather's grandfather drank. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a good sample episode next and, week, guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, next week. <laughs> Head in Germany for a month for a uh, single sample set. Um, <laughs> So I love that, but at the same time, I also want to have the weird coconut, you know, well, maybe not coconut because that's me, but, you know, maybe <laughs> I want to have the red licorice uh, p- pineapple oh, wow. stout or something that's just sort of all over the map of flavor. So yeah, licorice pineapple very good. stout. Yeah. It, anybody, you know, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, has anybody made a Twizzlers beer yet? Because I, I, uh, I feel like there's an opportunity, a missed opportunity there. That'd be the, yeah, that would be my beer for um, February. <laughs> you have to drink it through a Twizzler straw just Ooh, to get that flavor. Yeah, yeah that'll be your, your Randall will be <laughs> an actual <laughs> Twizzler. So after we do beer versus beer sushi, oh, um, then, yeah. we'll have to, then we should do something like weird flavors that shouldn't go together. Okay. Hmm. Um, hmm. Oh, but what I was saying, I was going to say, um, actually, it's very American to try to have both at the same time, like you said, have the mm-hmm. have the traditional, but do something new. Like so, other cultures. When I'm teaching, uh, like say world music, like uh, in our culture, we like to have oh, here's the original folk music, but here's how it has changed. Like originally, country music then folk music were the exact same thing, and then they just were like, okay, we have this thing called the radio, and we need to market this to other people, so let's add a little bit of a beat to it. So they are add some other instrumentation. So folk music that was folk music turned into country, turned into pop, turned Turn into Shania Twain, turn into Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. Yeah, <laughs> Jinx. Knew where he was going and, with that. Um, yeah. So anyway, but but then there are other cultures, like say Japanese, where like the their, their traditional folk sound it doesn't change. Like th- that they're playing those instruments exactly the way they have been played for the last thousands of years. So it, it's 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 a cultural thing that so we, we, so we want to have something new and exciting and bold, but at the same time know where our roots are. So we want to have our Taylor Swifts, but we also want to be able to go to see uh, the... We want to go down to the John F. Kennedy Center and see the National Symphony play Beethoven the same way that he would have had people play Beethoven all those years ago. Is that what you're kind of saying? Uh, Okay, so... um, Oh, gosh. What is his name? Um, Hank... What the third? Is it it Hank... Hank Hank Williams? Williams? Yeah, the third. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys see that guy? Okay, so he comes to the chameleon. I think it's Hank Williams the third. Like, yeah, 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 the country guy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he comes to the. He's the great, you know, the great grandson of what? Hank Williams. You know, oh, the Hank Williams. Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Hank Williams. And um, he plays the first set of his music is exactly his granddaddy's music. He yodels. He does it. Yeah. But then the second set, he gives everybody like, "All right, guys, you were here to see my, you know, my granddaddy's music. I want to give you 15 minutes to leave if you're here for that." Because he takes off his cowboy hat and there's a mohawk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> his bass player is the ugliest man I've ever seen in my life, Ooh. and he, they play the weirdest mind warping industrial death metal I've ever heard no in my kidding. life. Right after that, wow. Yeah, so that's it's, a change. It, yeah, it's really well, cool. actually, it's not industrial. It's just punk, like a really, really hardcore yeah, punk, like death metal type stuff. Um, but yeah, it is still mind warping. But um, I would have done it the other way around. I would have been like, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to play you 15 minutes of the weirdest freaky shit that you've ever heard. <laughs> and then I'm going to blow your minds with my grandfather's music. <laughs> well, it's one ticket, you know, two bands, one ticket, you know. Yeah, I like that. Kind of. You know, that's what he does. He gives them some time. Is there a lot of overlap between those two musical styles, though? That's, that's really No, the, the musicians are there. The musicians are overlapped. I mean, it's, <laughs> they're up there and they're kind of smiling. They're wearing their overalls, yeah. you know. <laughs> then the. The hat comes off. and Oh, the hat comes off. Oh, man. I swear that bassist is the ugliest guy I've ever seen. He must be like... I don't know how he's... I, I thought he was a heroin addict. I mean, it was just so weird. He was a Skeletor. Could be. Could he be. was like James Carvel. Yeah. It was just like on bass. Does it make you weep inside knowing yeah. that he probably has more success with women than you? Because I was going to say, does, with Hank does, does he still get groupies? <laughs> I mean, <'cause>... Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> 
maybe. I don't know. There's always those groupies that have to jump on that grenade, you know? It's like, <laughs> oh, okay, I'll do the bass player just so my girlfriend can have the singer. I assume. I don't know. I have no personal knowledge of that one way or the other. Oh, I, oh, oh, I've well, never been famous enough to have to worry about it. I did hook up a friend with Jordan Knight. Twice. Oh, wow. Twice. Twice. Can, can we talk about that story now? Go ahead. A little sure. digress. Okay, so um, I was working for Jordan Knight of New Kids on the Block, and um, there was a girl named... We'll call her Lisa, because <laughs> that is her real name. <laughs> Lisa Lionheart. Go ahead. Okay, so uh, Lisa, I known from. I worked with her before, and um, sorry, Lisa. And uh, she, she was like, "Oh, you, I love Jordan." She had like, a, like whatever, new kids in the block, whatever the hell. And um, so, as afterwards, I was like, "Hey, uh, so Jordan, there's this girl, blonde, really wants to meet you." And he's like, "Is she cute?" I'm like, "Yes, she is." And she comes out and meets her, whatever. They go home. They go back to his hotel. Uh, I tease her about it the next week when I see her, whatever. Then um, next year, he's back in town. I'm doing sound for him again, and Lisa's there again. Lisa is again there, and she's all starstruck. I'm like, hey, Jesse, can you do your magic again? I go back to Jordan. I'm like, hey, Jordan. So there's that. There's a blonde there out there that you know I hooked you up with the last time. He's like, all right. And we're walking out to her. I'm like walking him out to her. So and he's like, wait, what's her name? Which one is she? It's right over there. Her name's Lisa. He's like, Lisa, how are you? I'm so glad you came out. And uh, yeah, quote unquote, uh, they she went back to his hotel and gave him a massage. Oh, right. Uh, what I learned from that story is apparently Lisa's not too bad in the sack. And here's Jordan Knight. <laughs> well, Jordan Knight was also doing a lot of drugs in the pack room. So. Well, that's true. He, he didn't remember her by face or, or name, so maybe she was not that monumental, but it was good enough to... Well, no, no. It's not that she wasn't monumental. Lisa, you're a fantastic person. Thank you for listening. But um, it was the drugs, I'm sure. Yes. Yes, I'm sure. He was definitely... And what I will give to Jordan Knight is I worked for a lot of 80s comeback people, and he was not lip syncing. Oh, no, cool. He went for it. Good for him. Every falsetto note. He went for Hang it. Hang in tough. Did he, uh, <laughs> did he succeed tough. or just... Uh... No, he just went for it. Right. He was like, and then he would tell stories of like, this is my new song where I imagine I'm like a secret angel like James Bond. And I just, my, my mission is to make love to all the beautiful women out there. And all the girls like Lisa would scream at that moment. It was pretty hilarious. Wow. This was 2005. The greatest show I've ever seen at the Chameleon or anywhere else has been The Darkness at the Kelly. <laughs> oh. I missed that one. Yeah, I did oh too. God. I remember I you talking about that the next so day. Good. I went in knowing, um, I, I believe, believe in Called Love. love. Like that was yeah. the only, well, I, I knew, I did not know that they had sung a couple of the other songs. I recognized them when they started playing them. But um, I went in and I was like, oh, it's a lark. It's, you know, it's all whole, well, it wasn't quite $15, but it was cheap, you know, yeah. whatever, in industry night. And I was just blown away by the stagemanship, the pageantry of the whole experience. The dude literally somehow got away with climbing up the scaffolding, the second floor balcony, and like was hugging under 21 kids up on the upstairs balcony. <laughs> and then was singing up there, hanging back like, Wah! and then came back down. And I was like, holy crap. Um, yeah, he was hilarious and was not on drugs. He had given up drugs because that's oh. why they started bombing in the first place was too much drugs. Hmm. And so he was back on the straight and narrow and just rocking so hard. I was thoroughly impressed. Um, but yeah, there was um, slightly older crowd and they there were some women there, I'm sure, who would have thrown hotel keys if their husbands would not have been there with them. <laughs> so great show. Great show. And sometimes those older guys really knew how to rock. Awesome. Is that why you always get two two hotel keys? Uh, <laughs> to want to give it away to the singer. Just in case you have need one. To give he walks away. in. He's like, "Where the hell?" Oh, sorry. Girl comes wandering in like twenty minutes later. I had to wait till my husband fell asleep. <laughs> oh gosh. So there was a there was one band that I worked for where uh, this is on the topic of, of meeting the person that really wanting to uh, Munster Magnet, the bass player. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, had, somehow I think with the headstock of his bass, like smashed the guy a guy's face in. He was bleeding yeah. horribly, and. For whatever reason, the cops were called then, for whatever reason. But the guy said, hey, I won't press charges if I can just shake his hand. Huh. His face, he's covered in blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, so, a, just he, a mistake. Just a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You just... And the bass player was refusing at first. I'm like, dude, you could, have, you could be arrested or you can just shake his hand. It's more hardcore to be arrested. See, I have a very Peter Griffin attitude towards um, women sleeping with rock stars. Uh-huh. I'd rather be the guy who slept with the girl who slept with uh-huh. my favorite musicians rather than yeah, being right. upset that my significant other slept with a musician um, my wife know. did kiss <laughs> yeah, whole band, right yeah. how many people can say that you know that's awesome that is i would be of an attitude as well it's probably because before they met but still i'm like look there are certain gentlemen 
where you want to go spend a passionate night with Nathan Fillion and come back to me, just tell me all about it. That's all I really care about. Like, well, at least, yeah, at least it's someone like that. It's like some guy down the street. I'm like, come on. I right, mean, exactly. It, it's like, really, that was just what you traded me up for that night? Right. But then also, at the same time, you know, by the, the associative property of sex, that mm-hmm. means that you also then had sex with everyone that person. That's what I'm so if, if, you I want to be Eskimo brothers with Nathan Fillion. He says that, you know, that will be few generations away but it's you know what's his name from kiss says he's had sex with more people than wilt chamberlain so right. by the associative property of what we learn in you know 10th grade health yeah, class so, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, to you really are, go off you topic. are now a, a few generations away from kevin bacon <laughs> I, uh, well there was a, there was a, a scientific study that was done where they went into a high school and interviewed all the high school students saying like are you sexually active and if so with whom and they linked a, a single continuous line between 280 of the students that like if you if you were part of the line that by process of like six degrees of Kevin Bacon you had in theory slept with by the associated property two hundred and seventy nine other kids in your class and I was just like that's wow. a lot of Kevin Bacon like there's apparently a popular crowd that's just banging everybody yeah. well that's just like well if you're in that you might as well then go continue having sex with everybody it's like <laughs> you might you're like hey you know what are you in that line I'm in the line hey it's okay for us to have sex right now it's true. <laughs> Mike and I, as outsiders to our social group, is like, well, we came in late to the game. Probably not quite as involved as the rest of you. Uh, I could have banged everybody in my high school. <laughs> by the nerd, Rob goes. I totally could have by the associative property, <laughs> not literally, but by the associative property, maybe. Oh gosh, to <laughs> uh, be nerdy. That'll make your reunions a little awkward. Hey, remember that time we had sex? Of course you don't, but we did. Mm-hmm. Who had sex with him, who had sex with her, who had sex with him, who had sex with her, who had sex with me. Therefore, we banged. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> After Good that, luck with that yeah. pickup line. <laughs> <laughs> so we might as well just yeah. do it again right now. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of workaholics. If that explains my crassness. Yeah, right. I've been watching a lot of workaholics. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, Mike, what did you think of the first beer? Overall rating? Um... Pretty much like right in the middle. So if we're doing this out of five, like a two yeah. and a half. Okay. Jesse? I would give it a little bit higher than that. I would have said in three. Yeah. Okay. Three and a half almost. I'm with Mike about two, two and a half. Two and a, yeah, two and a half would be prepared probably. Well, when I check it in later is where I'll, I'll, I'll check it in. Um, so Master Disguise. I assume you're going to give it above the 1% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. Um, I was impressed. A little, little spice at the end that I actually thoroughly enjoyed. I'd give it like a three and a half. Okay. I'm right there at the same thing, yeah. Yeah, it's about where I was going to go with. I think it's uh, definitely a fine experiment and well executed uh, by Stone. You should keep it up. Uh, It was a surprise. And for that, I'm not sure I'd have a lot of it, but uh, I would definitely advocate other people giving it a shot as something that's enigmatic, you know, uh, sort of oxymoronish. Um, Yeah, you're right. I don't think I could imagine having even a second glass of that. No, I could definitely do another one. But if we were out at the bar and someone was like, dude, give me something that's going to, like, weird my socks off. Yeah, that's a weird your socks off. Yeah, go for it. Is exactly what I'd say. Weird your socks off. Because you never know when you might get asked that question. <laughs> like, people are all the time, well, what's new? And I'm like, uh. Yeah, I'm looking for a good this. It's like, oh, yeah. okay, that I'm used to. Something that'll weird your socks What else weird. weirds your socks off? Yeah. Just so I understand what this term means. Ah, uh, geez, something that weirds my socks off. Um, well, like, you need- like Matt Moore. He'll weird my socks off in a great way. By the way, he painted my apartment and he's amazing. Oh. But. Yeah. What weirds your socks off, Rob? Like the first two years of knowing Nick DeSanto weird oh, my socks off. Oh, yeah. He'll weird your socks off for sure. Poetry by Leonard Nimoy. That, that will definitely oh, weird your socks off. That's so why Mike, I keep that here. Would you mind reading? I'm going gonna, gonna to wrap this up and then we'll leave it to you. So, uh, okay. So that's it for today's show. We hope you enjoyed our uh, weirdly weird investigation into uh, nonsensical beer styles. Um, join us next week where we have a full episode where Jesse has been pushing sushi and perhaps Japanese oh. beer combinations. So uh, I know Jesse will have to know that we will not be going with standard uh, fish rolls. We'll be doing something weird and magical. Um, although I'm calling Godzilla roll from uh, Mana off the table right now because it's obviously Jesse's favorite. I can tell you my second favorite from them. No, I can tell I you just say we should, just, we should just cut Mana off as a possible oh. supply. It's got to be something Villainy. new and different. Villainy. So we'll get to him something new and exciting that he 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 will be impressed by, uh, combined with beer. Ah, uh, that's uh, that's it for today's show. Thanks for listening, and of course, of keep on listening to Leonard Nimoy poetry, <laughs> Michael. If you would reset us out of here, uh, just find a good one. Sweet is the sunbreak after the rain. Welcome mm. is the breeze that follows the heat. 
Warm is the fire against the snow, yet none so precious as your smile that says, welcome home, after we've been apart. Live long and prosper. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs>